Well, take your Bibles this morning and turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We've been in Philippians now for a few weeks, and uh, we're wrapping it up. This is the penultimate, it's one of my favorite words, uh, sermon in this. We'll have one more next week, Lord willing. Today we're going to just look at two verses, Philippians chapter 4 and verses 8 and 9. So it's just a short passage today. We'll give you time to get there. Philippians 4, verse number 8. As always, if you don't have a Bible, there's one there in the seat in front of you somewhere. Avail yourself of it. Follow along. Don't believe me. Don't trust me. Check me out. Make sure I'm telling you what the Bible says. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Father God, we're thankful so much for all that we've experienced and enjoyed here today in this service. We're so thankful for the music, for the, the special singing, and, and Lord, just the sweet fellowship that we've enjoyed so far. Uh, I, I'm just thankful for all that we've experienced, and we're so looking forward to, uh, to the baptism in a few moments and the fellowship after. But right now, in between those uh, those two bookends, I just pray that you'll guide us to concentrate on what you have for us in your word this day. Help me to preach. Fill me with your spirit. Uh, give me the words that you once said and protect me from saying anything I ought not. And give us all today ears to hear that we might, uh, uh, we might learn what the Bible says about our thought life and what it ought to be. Help us, Father, to have right thoughts. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Proverbs chapter 23 and verse number 7 says, As he thinks in his heart, so is he. Earlier, last week actually, we learned from verses 6 and 7 that when we worry about nothing and when we pray about everything, uh, the peace of God is going to guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I found it interesting this week as I studied these two verses here Paul says that if we do our part on that, if we, if we work at thinking right thoughts, and that's what verse 8 is talking about, and if we ensure that we do more than think about things and we actually put them into practice, I think that's what verse 9 is talking about. Then notice he says that the God of peace will be with us. And so we're promised both the peace of God that will keep us and the God of peace that will be with us in just these four short verses. And I think central to the whole thing here is verse number 8. I think this is just a key verse. It talks about our thought life, what we focus our minds on. And then verse number 9 kind of tells us that we need to go beyond thinking into doing. Two key, key verses. And so we're just going to focus on those two today. Usually we look at a longer passage, but today just those two verses. And we're going to let those two verses form our outline today. Verse number 8 forces us to ask a question. What is it that we're thinking about? What are we thinking about? And verse number 9 forces us to go beyond that and say, and what are we doing about it? So that's our simple outline this morning. What are we thinking about? And what are we doing about it? And I want you to notice that the order is important. Our thoughts need to be right first for how we think will guide and direct our actions. I don't think there's any mistake in the fact that verse 8 comes before verse 9 here, that how we think comes before how we act. You've all heard the old ditty, so a thought 
reap an action, so an action, reap a habit, so a habit, reap a character, so a character, reap a destiny. The order is important. And so let's look at those two things. First of all, what are you thinking about? Verse number 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So here we're instructed very specifically on some things that we are to think about, actually things that we are to meditate on. That word translated meditate in our New King James Bible I think it's think on these things in the King James Bible. That word uh, actually does not refer to just casually thinking about a thing. It refers to focusing on a thing, dwelling on a thing. Meditate is a pretty good translation to use there. And what are we to meditate on? What are we to focus our thoughts on? Well, he lists eight things here. Things that are true and noble and just and pure and lovely and of good report and virtuous and praiseworthy. In our Sunday school class, I've been talking about memorizing Scripture and meditating on Scripture. And, and as, as happened, I picked this verse to memorize a week ago. And uh, unfortunately, I memorized it in the King James. I shouldn't say unfortunately, but I memorize always in the King James. That's just what I memorize in. And it's a little bit different. So it's frying my brain up here this morning. I have to keep looking at this because it's just a little bit different than what I've, what I've memorized. But eight different things. True, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy. And I don't think we'd go far wrong if we looked at this from the opposite direction either. I, I, I think the implication is that the opposite things are things that we should avoid thinking on. We ought not to be dwelling on the untrue or the dishonorable or the unrighteous or the impure or the unlovely or things of bad reputation or the non-virtuous and the unpraiseworthy things. We should try our best to minimize but in that kind of stuff in our mind. That's the subject of another day. I want us to concentrate on what Paul says here, the, con- the, the positive side of this, the instructions he gave the Philippians. And so let's look at each one of those words in turn and see if we can learn something from it. What are we supposed to think about? How do we have right thoughts? Well, first of all, we need to think on whatsoever things are true. Whatsoever things are true. And this is not the only time Paul had given this instruction. He told the Ephesians, speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. He told the Ephesians, therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Whatsoever things are true. This is the most important one of the whole list. You notice it's first in the list. It's foundational. Everything else builds on this one. We've got to get this one right. And, you know, here's the deal. We live in an age... And I don't know if our age is all that different from any other age, but we certainly live in an age where truth is almost non-existent. I mean, what news source are you going to listen to that you can believe is telling you the truth? What, what, what are you going to listen to, read, or watch today? Anybody can post anything on things like social media today. Anybody with a telephone, I shouldn't say telephone, a phone can come up with a glitzy-looking YouTube video that makes them look like a genius authority on something and post it out there, and it will be believable. What are you going to believe today? How are you supposed to, to, to determine what is truth? Fact-checking is a thing now. It's, 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 you know, everything has to be fact-checked. There are even fact-checking websites Snope.com, Snopes.com, that you can go to and supposedly be able to determine if something else that you looked at on another website 
is actually true. And of course, we know from other fact-checking websites that even Snopes.com sometimes slants the truth to support their own political agenda. How, how, how are you? We often feel like Pontius Pilate, don't we? When he looked Jesus in the face and said, what is truth? Don't we sometimes wonder that? What is truth? Because if we can't figure out what is true, then nothing else in this list matters. It is the rock-solid foundation upon which everything else needs to rest and upon which everything needs to be built. What is truth? Well, Jesus told us what is truth. He didn't answer that question for Pontius Pilate, but he answered it in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17 when he prayed, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And, of course, Satan, from the very beginning of his dealings with mankind, has sought to cast doubt on that very source of truth. He has sought to cast doubt on God's word. Just go to Genesis chapter 3. Read the story of the fall. What was it that he said to Eve? Yea, hath God said? That was the very first thing he did, was to get her to doubt the veracity and the truth of God's word. And he does the same thing to all of us today. Jesus pulled no punches when he told us that Satan would, would, would distort the truth. He said, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He, the devil, was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. John chapter 8, verse 44. So the source of truth is God's word. The source of every lie is Satan, who seeks to distort and corrupt, dispute, deny God's word. So what's the foundation of a right mind? What's the foundation of our right thoughts? What is it that we ought to think upon, meditate on, dwell on first and foremost before anything else? It's truth. And that truth is found in the Word of God. Now, I know that I hammer on this issue a lot here, and I can hear the collective sigh go up across the room when I mention this again, that you ought to be reading your Bibles. I I know that you get tired of hearing that. I I can imagine some people here sitting here saying, Preacher, don't you have anything else you can preach about? And, of course, the answer is no. I do not. I am a man of one message. I'm a one-note singer. I'm a one-hit wonder. I have one book, and that's it. If you want something else, there's other preachers out there that will preach other things, so you go find one of them. You're not going to find it here, because I don't know anything else. I preach Christ and Him crucified as the only hope that we have for salvation. And I preach this book is the only source of truth. It is. It is the truth. It's God's holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible, perfect, God-breathed Bible. And if you want to have a right mind, if you want your thoughts to be built on a right foundation, that's where you've got to start. Whatsoever things are true. Isaiah said to the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Whatsoever things are true. Paul goes on. He says, we need to think on whatsoever things are noble. Is it noble? That's the second criteria he, he gives us for our thought life. Some translations say honorable, and either translation is right. I think the King James actually says honest there. All of them are saying basically the same thing. Basically, they're talking about taking the high road. Think about noble things. Think about honorable things. The mind that wins the battle, the mind that has right thoughts, does that. Thoughts are dignified and worthy of respect. doesn't get pulled into the gutter of culture. Thinks nobly. Paul told the Corinthians to provide honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the 
sight, excuse me, of men. You know, I, I guess I need to speak freely for a moment because this, this one makes me think. Christianity in our culture today has lost so much of this. I don't know if you see that. I, I hope you do. We dress down, dumb down, water down everything about the faith these days. Seems like we are desperately trying to do the very least we can for Christ. To demonstrate the very least amount of differentiation between ourselves and the world. But our lives ought to be demonstrations of, of the noble and the honorable. We ought to be known far and wide as the people who take the high road. So whatsoever things are noble. Then he goes on, whatsoever things are just. That word is also translated right or righteous as well. It refers to thoughts that conform to God's standard of righteousness. Now, I know that's going to be somewhat redundant, and you're all sighing yet again, because you know what I want to say. I'm going to say that God's standard of righteousness is found in God's Word, which is the truth. There's a reason why he put the truth first in the list, because it's the place where we're going to go for these things. We need to be thinking about God's way of doing things, God's standard, how to live our lives in conformity to God's Standard. Should a Christian marry a non-Christian? It's a question that comes up from time to time. If we go to the world for that answer, they're going to say, well, what difference does it make? Marry whoever you want. If we go to the Bible, to God's standard, we're going to find there actually is one. Be not unequally yoked together, believer with unbelievers. Christians should be conforming their lives to God's standard. Should a man and woman live together outside of marriage if they're not married? Our culture not only approves of that now, actually considers it normal, actually considers it wise and, and really thinks it's insane to think of anything else. And yet, God says the mar- that marriage is honorable in all, the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. God says thou shalt not commit adultery. The standard that God has for these things is different than what the world has. And so Paul says here that our thoughts should line up with God's standard. Whatsoever things are just or right, or righteous. He goes on, he says, whatsoever things are pure. Boy, we have to stop on this one for a minute, don't we? Whatsoever things are pure refers to what is wholesome, to what is unmixed with moral impurity. Consider Paul's words to the Ephesians here. He didn't pull any punches. He said, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Later in that same letter to the Ephesians, he said, You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. Our thoughts are to be on whatsoever things are pure. Now, if you're a man, you struggle with this. I don't know, you might be one of the .000% or so that 
doesn't. But I think if you're a man, you struggle with this. If you're a woman, statistics tell me you struggle with this too. Statistics tell us that pornography is a problem for almost every man and almost every woman in our society today. If you have a computer attached to the Internet, you are at risk. If you have a phone, you are at risk. If you have a tablet, you are at risk. If you subscribe to cable TV, this junk can be pumped into your home 24 hours a day, you are at risk. Parents, if your children have unsupervised, unfettered access to the Internet, they are in danger. And so we have to ask ourselves, how is the purity of our thought lives? Men, how is the purity of your thought lives? Ladies, how about you kids? How about you? How many of us would want others to know about the thoughts that go through our minds in those areas? Paul says here that we need to make every effort, a conscious effort, to think purely. And, of course, the obvious implication then is that we need to make a conscious effort to put away impure thinking. Not going to make any progress trying to fill our mind with pure thoughts if we're constantly shoving impure things in the same mind. And if you struggle with that kind of stuff, let me assure you, you are not alone. You're not even, you're not even unusual. If you struggle with those things, you need to take some steps to get rid of those thoughts and replace them with pure thinking. The Bible says we need to pray like crazy for that, for help on that area. The Bible says this is one of those areas where we're not supposed to Try to stand up to it. Not supposed to try to fight it. There's nobody who can. The Bible says plainly you're supposed to flee it. Just turn around and run from it. You can't stand it. You can't handle it. Nobody can. David, the man after God's own heart, the sweet psalmist of Israel, one of the most godly men that's mentioned in Scripture, could not handle it. Neither can you. Fill your mind with the truth of God's Word. I'll put that first on a list for a reason. Fill it up. Satan's going to fight you on that. He's going to tell you, no, don't read that. Go look at something else. Tell Satan to go to hell and go read your Bible. Whatsoever things are pure. He goes on, he says, we should think about whatsoever things are lovely. That word means pleasing or agreeable. It's the only place in the Bible where that word occurs. It's another word that indicates the thought life of the Christian should be good, beautiful, lovely. Our thought life should not be in the gutter. It should be on the mountaintops. Whatsoever things of good report, it refers to commendable things or admirable things. Another word that appears only here in our New Testament. It's another word that reminds us our thoughts should take the high road and not the low. And finally, he brings all this to a crescendo. He says, if there is anything virtuous, if there's anything praiseworthy, he's talking here about excellence. It's not enough to think good thoughts. Paul says, think excellent thoughts. Think the very best thoughts. What is virtuous? What is uh, praiseworthy? And so what is the key to right thoughts in the life of a believer? Well, we need to strive always to think about these eight things. If we would just concentrate on these eight things, man alive, we'd have so much, so fewer problems. Eight things we're to think about. What is true, what is noble, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, what is of good report, and what is virtuous and praiseworthy. Think on those things. And now, if you're like me, that list makes you feel pretty terrible. Because if you're like me, you realize just how deficient you are and how so many times your thought life doesn't line up the way it ought to with that. I'm no different. I doubt you are either. We need God's help for this. 
We need the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit of God if we have any hope for this at all. We need to pray and seek God's help with our thought lives. We are told in Romans chapter 12 and verse number 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's a God thing. We can't do it on our own. So I encourage you, pray daily for help. God, help me to bring my thoughts into conformity with this, that I might think only those thoughts that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely and of good report, uh, virtuous and praiseworthy. Well, one other question Paul asks here. He says, not only what are you thinking about, but in verse number 9 he goes on and says, what are you doing about it? I just want to mention that quickly and we'll be done. He says, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. He's removing here from instructions about what we think and how we think to the importance of putting those things into practice. Very specifically, he's saying here, what you've seen in my life, you need to do. He's putting himself forth as an example. They had learned from him. They had received the gospel from him. They had heard him. They had seen him live what he preached. And he said, you guys do the same thing. Do the things that you have learned and received and heard. And seen in me. We ought to underline that little word do. Such a simple little word. Two little letters. Do. Far too many Christians are willing to think about these things. But not do anything with them. So many thinkers. So few doers in Christianity today. James warned, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Hear it. Receive it. Learn from it. Think about it. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If we work like crazy on our thought lives, but it doesn't ever result in observable changes to our behavior, what good did it really do? What good is it? James said the blessing comes from doing, from being active in our faith. I'm not going to hammer on this. I just wanted to mention it, and I want you to think about it. I think the main thought from our passage today is right thoughts and getting our thought life right, but it is also important to realize that if we ever get there, it's going to be seen. It's going to flow out of us. We're going to do as well as think. In just a few minutes, we're going to be rejoicing with a few who have trusted Christ as their Savior and are today following the Lord and believers' baptism. We have an interesting group that has come uh, to be baptized today. And as I was thinking about this sermon today and thinking about these, these thoughts about the right thinking leading to right action, I, I couldn't help but see how that's demonstrated in some of these folks that are coming today. We have one who's coming this morning and has been saved for quite a while. Years ago, she was sprinkled. I believe that's her testimony. And uh, she started coming to this church. She started going to Dan's FBC 101 class, where he taught about what the Bible says about baptism. That we believe baptism is by immersion. The word baptize, baptize is from the Greek word baptizo. It means to dip or to immerse. That's all it means. There's no other way to interpret the word. That's what it means. 
And so she heard about that. And also the fact that baptism is something that takes place after salvation. And so she said, you know what? I want to be baptized. Hearing, learning, thinking on the truth results in doing. We have another this morning who was very recently baptized. As a matter of fact, I think I baptized him the very last time that I baptized. And yet, attending Dan's FPC 101 class, he heard about salvation. And he came to me in my office one day. And I mentioned in these folks, I hope they're all here getting baptized today. I don't know if they are all here or not, but these are the ones who are going to be. But he came to my office one morning and he said, you know, I was sitting in Dan's class. and There's a question in that little FPC 101 booklet. It says, if you were to die today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? And he said, you know, I think I would, but I'm not sure. So, we went through the gospel, he prayed, he trusted Christ, he got the assurance of his salvation. I hand him a Bible, I said, write this date down in that Bible. Next time when the Satan says, are you sure, you can point to it. And then he said, I think I should be baptized again. <laughs> Baptism is by immersion after salvation. So I said, well, probably so. Probably should. And so here he is. Here he is. Hallelujah. Hearing, learning, thinking on the truth results in doing. We have another that uh, I haven't seen her this morning. I don't know. Is, is Elena here today? She's not here today. And she must have had something come up. She was going to come and be baptized today. She's uh, Elena is the one who usually sits right about where Grandpa's sitting right now. And uh, she just recently had a baby. And she came to me a while back and said she wanted to be baptized. Well, then she had the baby, and she came to me on Old Fashioned Sunday, and she said, I'm still wanting to get baptized. And she said, I want Aaliyah, that's the baby's name, I want Aaliyah to be baptized too. And I said, well, let's talk about that. Because we don't do that. We don't baptize babies. We dedicate babies. We, 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 we as parents, we bring our children before the Lord and before the church, and we say, you know what, we want to do our very best to raise this child for the glory of God. We want to dedicate him to the cause of Jesus Christ and uh, God helping us. We're going to do everything we can to raise this child in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. We call upon the church to come behind them and help them and you know, all that good stuff. She said, okay, I want to do that then. And so she was going to be baptized, and I guess we'll have to do that some other time, and we're also going to dedicate that baby this morning as well. But another example, hearing, learning, and thinking on the truth results in doing. We have one who's coming this morning to be baptized who came to me all smiles the other day, all excited about her faith. And she told me that she had uh, been listening to the importance of reading the Bible, and she started reading her Bible. And uh, she said that uh, came to me last Sunday just with a big smile and said, as of such and such a day, and I can't remember what day it was, I have now read the entire Bible through. Hallelujah. You know, these kind of things just, just make me want to shout. Hearing and learning and thinking on the truth results in doing. Or at least it should. So where are you with regard to these things? Where are you with respect to your thought life? What are you thinking about? And what are you doing about it?